travel restrictions. However, travellers will have to wait until March 3rd to enter the state of Western Australia. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 21st of February. This is the beginning of Budget Week in Hong Kong and we shall have full coverage of the Financial Secretary's spending and revenue plans right here on Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. Hong Kong has reported more than 6,000 daily COVID cases on both Saturday and Sunday. Health department officials said cases were on a rising trend and authorities will maintain social distancing measures and will, cons- and will consider tightening them if high numbers of infections persist. In a video conference with the head of Beijing's liaison office, major companies pledged Friday to rally resources and join in the anti-epidemic effort. Business leaders pledged to step up the supply of rapid antigen tests for those on low incomes and frontline hospital staff and ship more goods into Hong Kong. New World Development CEO Adrian Cheng promised to free up the Hong Kong Convention and Exhibition Centre for community testing purposes. The US has added sites operated by Chinese technology giants Alibaba and Tencent to its notorious markets list of businesses it believes are involved with trading counterfeit goods. The Office of the United States Trade Representative said its list had for the first time included AliExpress owned by Alibaba and WeChat e-commerce sites run by Tencent. Singapore announced the first goods and services tax increase in the city-state in 15 years on Friday in Finance Minister Lawrence Wong's new budget. In his first budget speech, Mr. Wong announced a 372 US dollar, million US dollar package to support jobs and businesses as part of his budget proposals, along with a 416 million US dollar package to help Singaporeans deal with the rising cost of living. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Jack Sue at Credit Suisse and Nate Taplin from the Wall Street Journal with a view from mainland China. It's Brock Silvers of Kyan Capital. Money Talk on Stocks on Wall Street slid on Friday, registering their second consecutive weekly loss as tensions between Russia and Ukraine intensified. The S&P 500 index drops 0.7% to 4,349 in a volatile five trading days. The benchmark index slipped 1.6%, taking its losses for the year so far to 8.8%. The Dow lost 233 points, taking its losses for the week to 1.9% and closing at 34,079. The Nasdaq Composite Index took the brunt of the selling, closing 1.2% lower at 13,548. And year-to-date, the tech-heavy index is down over 13%. The Pan-European Stock 600 index fell 0.8%, taking its losses for the week to 1.9%. The UK's FTSE 100 was also down 1.9% over the five trading days. Hong Kong shares tumbled by the most in a month. The Hang Seng Index slipped 1.9%, or 465 points, to 24,328. And for the week, it lost 2.3%. The tech index slumps 3.2%, the most in three weeks. 
On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.7% to 3,491. Chinese technology, technology stocks fell sharply after Beijing's top state planning agency, the National Development and Reform Commission, ordered online food delivery platforms to lower the fees they charge restaurants. Shares in Metuan dropped almost 15%. Shares of Alibaba, which owns food delivery platform Elimead, fell 2.9%. Property stocks moved higher on reports that branches of China's big four state-run banks in Heizhou, a city of 8.8 million people in Shandong province, have lowered the minimum down payment ratio for first-time home buyers to 20% from 30% to boost the sluggish housing market. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index rose 2.9% and the Hang Seng Properties Index, which tracks Hong Kong developers, gained 1.5%. Chinese developer Genro Properties said in a stock exchange filing on Friday that internal funds available for debt servicing have become increasingly limited and may be insufficient to address its upcoming debt maturities in March. Genro will ask holders of its 200 million US dollar perpetual note to forgive any potential default that could arise from its failure to redeem the securities. After the market close, index compiler Hang Seng Index's company announced its quarterly index rebalancing. Nonfu Spring, China's largest bottled water seller and personal commuter, computer maker Lenovo, were added to the Hang Seng Index, effectively from March the 7th. The compiler also removed Evergrande Property Services Group, which is part of the heavily indebted China Evergrande Group, from the Hang Seng China Enterprises Index and replaced it with Xinyi Solar Holdings. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil saw its first weekly loss of the year, falling 1%. It's trading this morning at $92.44 a barrel. Gold rose for the third straight week, climbing over 2% in its best week since May 2021. And this morning, it's trading at $1,905 an ounce, the highest since June 2021. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell four basis points Friday to 1.93%. The US dollar ended the week marginally lower. The euro is trading at $1.13 and a quarter cents. The bucks at 114.9 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.36 cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 60 cents. And the Chinese yuan saw gains of half a percent over last week. It's at 6.32 and a half in offshore markets this morning. Bitcoin tumbled over 5% last week and is at $38,700 this morning. US markets are closed today for President's Day, which could lead to a quiet day of trading in Asia, although stocks have got off to a bad start. In Australia, the SX200 is down 0.8%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has tumbled 2% at the open. The Cosby in South Korea down 1.8% at the moment, and futures markets pointing to a fall of about 330 points for the Hang Seng at the open. It's 8.10 and a half. Let's join our guests on the phone. We have with us Jack Sue, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. Morning, Jack. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is Nate Taplin, Asia Editor of Heard on the Street at the Wall Street Journal. Morning, Nate. 
Morning, Peter. Um, let's start in, in Hong Kong. As we heard earlier, uh, 6,000 new daily COVID cases on both Saturday and Sunday. The Centre for Health Protection is going to stop issuing a figure now for preliminary positive cases because there's been delays in reporting and testing. And the exodus of people from Hong Kong has picked up speed with almost 18,000 people departing in the seven days up to Friday through Hong Kong Airport. Um, Jack, from an investment uh, perspective, this worsening situation in Hong Kong, what is it doing uh, to your, your thoughts on the Hong Kong markets? Well, I mean, um, Hong Kong has seen the benefits of financial stocks rising year to date uh, due to rising yields. And Hong Kong has been the best performing market in January this year. But now the local situation, you know, property sales are now remaining weak and likely remain so in the coming weeks and months. And uh, with the financial bond yields, uh, Treasury yields rising now to 2% level. I mean, the upside potential for Hong Kong related um, stocks seems to be capped for now. And especially uh, with the global risk off environment and the, lo- and the locally weaker economic backdrop, I've seen the PMIs in Hong Kong falling back uh, to a contraction trend. Uh, I think in the near term, um, Hong Kong stocks will be uh, at best range bound uh, if not, uh, if we don't have light at the end of the tunnel for the situation in terms of testing, um, mandatory testing for the whole city, uh, we are likely going to see fallen fundamental fallen earnings to drive stock prices lower mm. in the There's an irony, isn't there, in that the Hang Seng Index's companies tried over the last few months to restructure the Hang Seng Index to be less dependent on financials and property, more dependent upon uh, more representative of technology companies, but it's actually financial stocks that are outperforming at the moment and technology that's underperforming. Well, the good news is um, financial is still a large part of the index, right? So I think most investors will have benefited um, in order to see why Hang Seng Index have managed to remain range-bound, whereas the Hang Seng Tech Index uh, is still trying to find a bottom mm. uh, after the last 10 months. Uh, so I think at the moment, uh, the financial stocks did help. With the planning of removing or reducing the financial stock components over the next couple of years, uh, I think it kind of makes sense too because this regulatory crackdown eventually uh, will calm down uh, and then those stocks uh, does seem to be inexpensive right now. But for now, the transition period in, in these couple of years uh, makes sense. Nate, what are your thoughts on the situation here in Hong Kong? Any signs do you think that the government's getting on top of it? It's really hard to say, Peter. Um, I mean, you know, they've stopped kind of reporting the uh, preliminary cases. So, um, and apparently just because there's, um, you know, the texting backlog is so, so long. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it doesn't seem like there's any clear sign yet that things are, are leveling off. Um, certainly if they end up doing some kind of rolling lockdown by district, as they've, they've talked about, um, combined with citywide testing, maybe that will help. But uh, it, it certainly still looks pretty bad for now, I would say. It is budget week, so what can we expect on Wednesday or what should we be expecting that maybe can help the situation, that can um, help those people that have lost their jobs, support businesses through the pandemic? What can uh, Paul Chan do? Nate? Well, I mean, um, okay, sorry, Nate, please go on. No, sorry, go ahead, Jack. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, I think in the short term, 
we, we have to expect some further support to those who are affected by the lockdown situation. Uh, short term, we have to see further support for uh, uh, small and medium-sized companies who are highly impacted by the current situation without an end date really in sight. Um, so how um, the finance minister, Paul Chen, announces related support measures, uh, I think will be critical. I mean, they already said uh, last few days that they will release uh, further funding support through, for the gyms, uh, for the some of the SME companies, of depending on the size of the gym. I mean, there's support coming, but how much? And we need to see the light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. in order for these SME to stay uh, in business. And otherwise, um, there may be a business decision to temporarily close down, and that will have um, long-term impact on the Hong Kong economy. So we have to see um, sustainable uh, end of the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Um, that's most, most important from the uh, budget. Nate, we're already seeing the damage, aren't we? You only have to walk around uh, the Soho area in Central, which is normally a buzzing, um, lively area. It's pretty quiet. Lots of places boarded up, bars, restaurants shut down, looks like for good. Yeah, well, um, it, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that there's definitely going to be some, some permanent damage. Um, and I think, you know, the fundamental problem for Hong Kong is the kind of in the situation now where they're receiving very strong pressure from uh, the central government to get this under control. Um, but, you know, Hong Kong fundamentally is a international city in many ways. And, you know, unless tourists come back, uh, you know, conventions come back, um, it, there's going to be kind of permanent damage from that, particularly mm-hmm. if, as um, you know, Jack said, there's no kind of light at the end of the tunnel for all this. Bill Winters, the chief executive of Standard Chartered, warned last week that Hong Kong will struggle to retain its dominant position as Asia's top financial centre the longer that China persists with its strict zero COVID policy. Jack, do you see that as being a risk? Oh, I think, right. Um, here's a scenario. When is the light at the end of the tunnel? The likelihood is um, the city will get to 90% of fascination rates in the next week or two, as predicted by the government. And um, we will get to the third booster shot by the end of June. And um, there's a slight hope that the mainland may shift its policy by year-end to change from um, zero COVID policy to living with COVID. I mean, this is obviously a big guess and assumption because if you look at what happened to the policies, um, they have approved the drug uh, past tax loaded, which is a drug you take after you have mild symptoms with a risk of becoming severe symptoms. And um, this drug is able to, I guess, stop with 90% chance uh, you people from dying. And there's a very high efficacy from um, getting severe um, symptoms. And approval of this drug means um, China will eventually have enough supply of this treatment. And my guess, my rough guess is um, Paxlovid said they will produce 120 million shipments of the treatment. And China may get roughly, if they get 4% of the supply, and that means they will get 5 million treatments. And compared to typical hospitalization rates, uh, that may just be enough. Uh, for the country to open up and without, uh, with 99% of people 
uh, probably won't die as a result of this, then at that point, um, the basic condition for China to live with COVID is satisfied. But this is a rough guess. And by that time, if this is true, or if there's additional vaccine that's more advocates, then I think condition is set for the country, including Hong Kong, uh, could open up to the world. And that we're talking about sometime in 2023. Um, Nate, if we've got to wait, though, till the end of the year for uh, the zero COVID policy to be relaxed, can our economy last that long? Won't we be in recession by then? Yeah, certainly there will be... um Certainly, there will be a lot of damage. There's no question. Um, you know, I mean, Fitch has already downgraded Hong Kong, and that was, you know, well before it became clear how bad it was really going to be. Um, and yeah, I think again, the the kind of longer term issue is that, well, first of all, yeah, there's there's a lot of uncertainty about when the opening from China will eventually take place. And you know, yeah, there's, it's possible that some new therapies will help, but at the same time, you know, China has uh, in some ways underinvested in, you know, kind of hospital capacity for a long time. And so it has a kind of a bit of a structural problem there. Um, you know, when, when things open up, um, even if there's, you know, decent therapies available, um, it's going to be hard to, hard to avoid a, a real kind of problem with, with, with hospitals, I think, uh, getting, getting overwhelmed to a certain extent. And, and, you know, you've seen, um, you've seen kind of the COVID policies get, pretty strongly politicized as well. Um, you know, we've seen comments from uh, academics up in Beijing, um, the one everyone's been talking about is uh, Tian Feilong, kind of positing support for COVID zero as, a, as, you know, as a loyalty test, more mm. or less. And so, you know, once you have that kind of uh, narrative installed, um, it may be kind of hard to roll it back. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not actually confident that um, it will happen by the end of the year. Um, I think this could go on actually into into next year, potentially. Okay. As mentioned earlier, it is budget week here in Hong Kong. Uh, Last week was budget week in Singapore. On Friday, Finance Minister Lawrence Wong announced the first goods and services tax increase in Singapore in 15 years. He focused on bolstering the country's finances to face long-term challenges such as rising social spending as well as promoting the local workforce. He announced a 500 million Singapore dollar package to support jobs and businesses and a 560 million Singapore dollar package to help Singaporeans deal with the rising cost of living. And Jack, the the Straits Times Index in Singapore uh, is one of the world's best performing stock indices this year. It's up about uh, 10% so far. Um, What's this budget do, do you think, for, for the markets? Well, I mean, um, it's actually good news for Hong Kong, right? If they're raising uh, personal income tax for uh, highly qualified individuals, um, maybe this competition for um, the regional financial centre isn't going to be so easy of a transition. But I think um, the budget makes a lot of sense. Um, In a way, um, there's a lot of fiscal spending related to the pandemic. And now um, they're raising this tax uh, requirement um, on GST and on personal income tax. Uh, from the investment standpoint, though, um, it isn't exactly a um, market-friendly announcement, given it will take money away from some of the consumers. It will take, um, actually, for most consumers, because it's a, uh, it's a sales tax they are adding on to. So I think, overall, it's not a uh, very market-friendly budget. But nevertheless, um, its domestic economy is actually in a very good shape. Uh, the property market is on fire. Um, the financial sector is on fire. 
uh, and that's majority of, of the STI index, um, the REITs and the banks, and those are all benefiting from the rising yield environment and the uh, rising property prices. So mm-hmm. I, I think that market will remain more resilient than the rest of the world. Nate, what, what did you think? Although taxes are going up, um, probably not as fast as people feared um, in advance, and the goods and services tax is going to be phased in over a couple of years. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Singapore is basically in in decent shape uh, fundamentally. So, you know, I mean, obviously, kind of on the margins, this isn't positive for business, but um, you know, the economy in general is doing very well. Um, so, I, I don't see this as kind of a major hit. Okay, well, thank you both very much for your thoughts. There, you heard Nate Taplin, Asia editor, heard on the street at the Wall Street Journal. Jack Su, Chief Investments Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Coming up to 8.24 on the phone now is Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. Morning, Brock. Hey, good morning. So let me ask you, first of all, about the uh, the COVID situation here in Hong Kong. Um, do you think we're getting on top of this or is the situation still out of control? And, and what, what harm is it going to do to our, our economy here and the business environment here? Well, things are, are certainly on a negative trajectory, right? And over two weeks, we've gone from about uh, maybe 300 cases a day to this weekend, more than 6,000 cases a day. So it's increased 20 times. And it doesn't show any any sign of stopping. Now, the interesting thing is that, look, Xi Jinping has rebuked Hong Kong's response, um, and mainland experts have come to help in the uh, in the in that response. And look, the reality is just that Hong Kong's answer to COVID is is more or less being dictated by Beijing at this point. China's policy is Hong Kong's policy, and I think we're in for a di- at least a difficult few months here. Um, the thing to keep in mind is that zero COVID is very unpopular with the business and finance communities, but it, it, we shouldn't look at it in isolation. The situation is sort of increasing the perception that has been growing since the passage of the security bill. That perception is that Hong Kong used to be sort of viewed as separate from China and a valuable bridge to the mainland. Now, increasingly, Hong Kong simply is China which seems to, in some ways, threaten the business model. Mm. You, you said President Xi Jinping's speech was a rebuke uh, to Hong Kong. The Hong Kong government sees it differently. They see it as a, as a sort of a rallying call to arms and a message of support for Hong Kong. What, why do you see it as a rebuke? Sure, rally to my arms. Um, I think it was, um, it was an encouragement to not take, uh, to not take under consideration any ideas that would be living with COVID, um, but to rally to the mainland standard, um, which is zero COVID. And as I said, which the business and financial communities um, really don't like and are, and are sort of being buffeted by. Mm. Well, we've seen a number of companies announce they're moving staff out of Hong Kong, Perno Ricard, Mandarin Oriental, Citigroup, Bank of America. Is that trend going to increase, do you think? I, I think that it's a long-term trend, but I do think it's going to increase. Look, if if people are seeing Hong Kong as more certainly integrated into the mainland, um, 
Those who don't mind being in China, and, and look, I lived on the mainland for 20-plus years, those folks are migrating north to Shenzhen, Shanghai. Both are modern, nice, cheaper than Hong Kong, and closer to the markets. Mm. Those who do mind, for whatever reason, being in China are exiting. And, and I think Singapore is a major beneficiary, especially for investment professionals, and that in turn is helping to drive some of the real estate uh, boom we're seeing in Singapore right now. Mm. What's the impact on the, the markets going to be? So far, um, the Hang Seng Index has been quite resilient, hasn't it? It's, it's actually one of the better performing markets uh, so far this year. Can, can, that, can the, uh, the markets continue to shake this off, do you think? I'm, I'm not convinced that they will. Look, last year was certainly not uh, not a great year. We did we have had a bit of rebound, but we have a lot of issues popping up now that uh, that that are putting some clouds on the horizon. Not the least of which is an increasingly uh, argumentative sort of U.S.-China relationship. Mm. And they've added companies now to their uh, notorious markets list, uh, uh, AliExpress, run by Alibaba, WeChat, e-commerce sites. Is, is that a, a sign that this uh, sort of um, truculent relationship between the U.S. and China is going to get worse or at least not get any better? Well, look, there's little doubt in my mind that those companies probably deserve to be on the list. But we should keep in mind that I don't think there's really been much of a change. What the U.S. was willing to overlook on Wednesday, it was suddenly not willing to overlook on Thursday. Mm. So that's certainly a sign. And honestly, there's just a, a, a robust and growing sentiment in the U.S., a political sentiment, that wants tougher China policies. Um, so, uh, you know, as I, I think, told Money Talk listeners many times, Trump or Biden, it probably wouldn't make much difference for China. Mm. What about the property sector? Um, we, we had the news on Friday that Genro Properties says it doesn't have in, enough internal funds to service uh, the debt that's coming up in March. It's got a $200 million perpetual note. This has come as a bit of a shock because uh, until a couple of weeks ago, maybe even less than that, 10 days ago, Genro was regarded as one of the better sort of finance property developers there. And all, all of a sudden, it seems to have gone wrong for them as well. You know, that's right. Look, a couple of months ago, its bonds were in the 70s and 80s, while Evergrande and the rest of, uh, of the boys were lucky to be in the 20s. Um, mm. So, But as you say, there's real debt due this year, and January sales were down 30% year on year. Now, they, uh, they have a $200 million perpetual bond due uh, March 5th, I believe, and they've asked to, bondholders to be flexible, but but I tell you, if I were a bondholder, I'd be against waiving uh, default claims. I would, uh, I would push forward. Mm. I think the larger message here is it, I, I just don't think there are Chinese developers that can really withstand the three red lines, uh, uh, that sort of scrutiny over a sustained period. Mm. What Beijing is attempting to do, kind of a controlled popping of a balloon, I'm, I'm just not sure how it can be done. Mm. With all these problems going on at the moment in the world, a lot of geopolitical tensions, Russia, Ukraine, uh, the US-China uh, tensions, what, what asset classes would you look at in this type of environment? I and mean, We've seen gold, for example, um, outperform the last three or four weeks. Uh, would that be one? Well, I think it, it should be. But look, lots of people are predicting a long series of US Fed rate hikes this year. Um, 
And to be honest, I think some of that must happen, but I just can't see us having seven hikes or anything of the sort in an election year. I just think that the Fed would not, uh, would not take on the administration in that way. So I think what we have to do is construct a view that, that says we'll have, uh, we'll have moderate increases throughout this year and probably after the election we'll, uh, we'll get more serious. Brock, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Not looking good for the markets this morning. In Australia, the SX200 is down 0.7%. In Japan, stocks have slipped sharply. The Nikkei 225 of 2%. The Cosby in South Korea down 1.6%. The Hang Seng looking to lose 330 points at the open. But gold is surging even further this Monday morning. It's now at $1,910 an ounce. Brent crude oil uh, trading around $92.46 a barrel. Thank you very much for listening uh, this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning. Stay tuned. The COVID update is coming up with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, cloudy to overcast with rain, which is going to be more frequent at times. Will be very cold. There is a very cold weather warning in force. Temperatures lingering around 8 degrees. Going to be persistently cold in the next couple of days. The temperature right now is 8 degrees and it's 94% relative humidity. The time's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shirosky with the Half Hour News. A health expert says analysis of the current trend of infection suggests Hong Kong is still in the early stage of the outbreak and could see hundreds of thousands of new cases a day in the coming weeks. Karen Greppin, an associate professor at the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health, says whether or not infections peak in mid-March will depend on the measures taken by authorities. She says authorities need to scale up vaccinations, and she questioned why those who tested self-tested positive should still have to queue up for a PCR test to confirm their diagnosis. We know, for example, that the uh, testing system is completely overwhelmed. It's very difficult for people to actually go and get a PCR test at the moment. Um, but people could be testing positive using a rapid antigen test. So what are the protocols? You know, what, what should we do for that? And, and why is the priority that they still have to go out and get tested when we know they're positive at this point? The Winter Olympics in Beijing have ended with China taking third place in the medals table, uh, the nation's best ever performance. The, na- the national team pulled in nine golds, four silvers and two bronzes. At a ceremony at the National Stadium, the head of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Bach, announced the closing of the Games. Damon Pang has more. President Xi Jinping attended the closing ceremony as Mr. Bach declared the Games officially closed. They looked on as Beijing's mayor handed the Olympic flag over to the mayors of Milan and Cortina of Italy, where the next Winter Olympics will be held in four years' time. As the light of the cauldron's Olympic flame disappeared, so did the lights of a giant snowflake, displaying the names of the participating countries and regions. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said the latest comments by Russia's President Vladimir Putin suggesting he might still be willing to seek a diplomatic solution over Ukraine were a welcome sign. The French President Emmanuel Macron, who spoke to the Russian leader yesterday, relayed Mr. Putin's assurances to Mr. Johnson and President Biden. But speaking on the CBS television channel, the American Secretary of State Antony Blinken said he remained concerned about a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. Everything we're seeing tells us that the decision we believe President Putin has made to to invade is moving forward. We've seen that with uh, provocations created by the Russians or separatist forces over the weekend, 
false flag operations. Now the news uh, just uh, this morning that the quote-unquote exercises Russia was engaged in uh, in Belarus with 30,000 Russian forces that were supposed to end this weekend will now continue because of tensions in eastern Ukraine, tensions created uh, by Russia and the separatist forces it backs there. Buckingham Palace says Queen Elizabeth has tested positive for COVID and has mild cold-like symptoms. The statement said the Queen, who is 95, is expected to continue light duties at Windsor Castle in the coming week. The news from RTHK.